Hey there, I'm Adam Demetrician, the lead pastor at Pathways Church in Appleton, Wisconsin. And this is our podcast. I hope this message inspires you, feeds your faith, and ultimately leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning. It's so great to see all of you here today. We're so glad that you're with us. Quick question, Chiefs or 49ers? Chiefs. How many of you really don't care? How many of you really don't care? Okay, I met a guy today. His name is Sterling. And I said, oh, he said, yeah, like Sterling Sharp. And I said, oh, okay, you must be a Packers fan. He said, I was named after him. And so I thought, that's awesome. So, hey, we're so glad that you're here with us today. If you're visiting, you're new to Pathways, let me be the first to welcome you. Thanks for checking us out. We don't believe that you're here by accident. None of us are here by accident. Did you know that? God wants to reach out to you and he wants to communicate his love, his heart toward you so that you know his plan for your life. He wants to speak to all of us. Amen. Well, it's so great to be a part of a church where God is speaking, he's moving, and we've been in a series entitled A New Beginning, where we've been studying the Old Testament book of Ezra. And one of the weeks earlier in this series, we devoted ourselves to prayer and fasting. And I'm so glad to be a part of seeing how God is calling and speaking to many of you about rebuilding areas of your life. In fact, I heard a woman who God had spoken to during the the fast and said, you know what? You need to release some of that unforgiveness. And so she reached out and she forgave somebody that she uh, cared about and loved. And, you know, forgiveness is a powerful thing. Unforgiveness is a powerful thing as well. And so grateful for that. I heard of a man, a grandfather, who actually was fasting TV during our prayer and fasting uh, week. And he had said it given him more time to be in the Bible and more time for him to accomplish his wife's honeydew list. Yeah, so his wife told me that she has now hidden the TV in the attic. So, no, I'm I'm just, uh, but he was really uh, excited about that. And another fasting story is that really uh, amazing. I had a staffer come up to me and she had said, you know, I've been battling some underlying issues of fear. And what God is uh, speaking to my heart about is just learning to trust him more fully. And that's what a life of faith is about. It's about trusting, hearing God's voice and moving out and stepping out in faith. And we as a church during the fast, we were praying for four things. Many of you know, growing relationships and servant leaders. And the last thing that we're praying for is healing wounds. And God, we we saw God do some healing works in our body during the prayer and fast through doctors and medicine and nurses. If you serve in the medical community, I want to say thank you. You're the hands and the feet of Jesus as you extend compassion and your expertise. And had a woman, a part of our church, who had open-heart surgery. And I'm not talking about open-heart surgery where they go through the hand or through the leg. I mean, like, open heart. And I just am so thrilled to tell you that not only did the procedure go so well, but really exceeded her expectations as well as her husband and family. Her girls are in town, exceeded her expectations in terms of recovery. I mean, I went down and I was visiting her in the hospital. I couldn't believe less than 48 hours she's up and she's talking. And I just thought, wow, God, you are at work. And so, so grateful for that. And just last week, you talk about healing. We had a relational healing, had a gentleman who said, you know what? I had a loved one that this week they had been praying for this loved one for the entire summer, all through the summer, all through the fall prayer 
prayer partners praying, and his loved one was released from prison. The loved one was here in service last week and so grateful to our prayer partners and what God is doing. Friends, God is on the move, amen? And he is speaking. Our God is speaking. There's a, a, a high degree of likelihood that God wants to speak into your life. He wants to move you. Our God is a living God. Our God is not stagnant. He's active. He has something for you today, something in the present, right now, in order that your future can look different in him. So the question isn't, is God speaking? Is God leading? The question is, are you listening? And do you have the faith to step out and to obey him? Well, if you have a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Ezra, Ezra chapter 3. And in Ezra chapter 3, here's what we are going to learn. We're going to learn about this true story of all the events and the things that happened with these approximately 50,000 Jews who had been released from Babylonian captivity and now through the proclamation of Cyrus, this Persian pagan king, released back to Jerusalem in order to rebuild the uh, the temple of God. And we've highlighted how God has been through every scene, every dramatic event of this true story, God has been there. From moving the heart of Cyrus to Cyrus's proclamation to inspiring these 50,000 Jews to travel some 900 miles to God providing workmen and people who are carpenters and stonemasons and gifts and financial gifts that remember Cyrus took all the treasures out of the Babylonian temple and he said, here, you take these and you go back to Jerusalem. I mean, God was involved in every action and with every individual in the story of Ezra, just like he's involved in every action and every individual in the rebuild that God has planted in your heart. So Ezra chapter three, we're gonna pick up the story. Finally, they have arrived in Jerusalem. And they're getting ready to rebuild. But before they do, they want to establish some priorities. Let's look at verse 1 together. Here's our text. When the seventh month came, the Israelites had settled in their towns. The people assembled together as one, which is, that's very important, unity, right? They assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Jozak, and the fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiliah, and his associates began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Verse 3, despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both morning and evening sacrifices. Then, in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred festivals of the Lord, as well as they brought uh, free will offerings to the Lord. And on the first day, how many of you are just glad we didn't live in the Old Testament, by the way? Man, that's a lot. Man, I have a hard time keeping the national holidays straight, let alone all these things. Holy mackerel. Anyways, verse 6. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. This is a key phrase. Though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. Have you ever listened to any time management podcast or approaches? You often hear the term priorities. 
priorities? How do we manage our lives with all of our interests and passions and, and responsibilities? How do we manage them in such a way that we prioritize our time? Now, for many of you, you've probably seen or heard this illustration before, but let's just assume if you haven't, Let's assume that this jar is your life, okay? This jar is your life, and the goal of your life is to have a life that's sustainable, something that you actually enjoy. And we all go through hurts and pains, and we all have things that we bump up against. We have things that are very challenging. But let's assume for a moment that this is your life. It's an empty jar. And then you take some of the pebbles of life. Now, what are the pebbles? Well, pebbles are some things that you have to do, right? You have to go to school. You have to work. You have, you have things like you have dishwashers and cars and you have golf clubs and you have some things that you like. It's the material possessions. It's the stuff. Everybody say stuff. It's the stuff, right? So here are the pebbles of life. Now, then you have the rocks. Now, the rocks are really important. The rocks are important because these are the things that we really care about, right? We care about things like family, and we have things like celebrations. Maybe it's a birthday or it's, a, it's, a, it's an anniversary. We have uh, vacations. We have things like big major projects that we want to accomplish at home. We have community service. We want to be active in the community, right? Because, you know, that's where our light is going to shine. Or we, we, have, we have family. That's a big thing. We have all kinds of things we need. We need to plan and prioritize all these things in our life. And I mean, there's just so much that we need to do. And we begin to stack these up and we get it sort of like this. Now, if you're like me, you go like this. But if you want to live within your means and your resources in terms of energy and passion and desire without toppling over, this is how most of us live. But can I tell you, this is not the way that God has designed us to live. This isn't sustainable. Because what if you have a, a crisis? What if you need a little time for yourself? Any moms out there? I just, I just need a little space. See, Jesus didn't come so that we could live a life like this. This isn't an abundant life. This is a suffocating life. Now, you say, okay, Adam, so what's, uh, what, what do we do with this? Well, what if we took a different perspective? That's an interesting word. We'll come back and talk about that later on in the message. What if we had a different perspective? What if we reversed the order and we said, you know what? We're going to take family and celebrations and, and planning and our health. We need to be healthy, right? Down on carbs, down on sugar. We need to exercise. We, we need to plan and we need to, we need to do all of these things. We need to have faith. Our faith is so important. And so we got to take these rocks out. And you know what? We're going to make some space and, and we're going to go ahead and we're even going to make some space for ourselves. And then we're going to begin to say to the pebbles, you know what? We're going to put these in here. And we're going to see how life can function. Hey, 
See, this is the kind of life that God has for us. What this illustrates is the power of priority and the way in which we manage our times. And it says to do the top things, the most important things first. Handle the big rocks because as you make choices in your daily and weekly and monthly and annual yearly life, what you're going to have is a life that's based on priority. And as we get to chapter 3, we're going to see that the Israelites set some priorities. The first priority is what they do, they get back and look at verse 3 again. Here's the biggest rock of all. Despite the fear of the peoples around them, these 50,000 Jews, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both morning and evening sacrifices. So what did they do first? They built the altar and they worshiped God. Now, this is really interesting because if you remember the very last verse, verse 6, and the second part of the very last verse in the passage that I just read to you, verse 6, it says this, and the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. Two things that we can surmise from this text. The first is this. If you're taking notes, jot it down. The greatest priority, the biggest rock that we all have is the worship of God. That's the biggest priority that all of us, if you're taking in oxygen right now, your top priority is the worship, the magnification, the adoration of God. It's why when we come together, we worship God. When we sing, we lift up our voices, our hands to him. That's why when you give, you tithe, that's a form of worship. When you serve, you're worshiping God. Really, all of life is a form of worship to God. You say to yourself, well, wait a second. Oh, Adam, what about my friend? What about my buddy? He's not a God follower. I know he's not worshiping. False. He's worshiping something or someone because all of us in our DNA were created in the image of God, which means by nature, we're worshipers. The question is, what are you worshiping? Or maybe better question, who are you worshiping? Is it money? Sex? An individual, security, comfort, what is it? We're all worshipers. And so the very first thing, the biggest rock of all, is that these Israelites begin to worship God. They make top priority. They do a first thing first. Now, this was the practice and the priority of Jesus Christ, our Savior. You look in the Gospels, we're going to see how Jesus worshiped God. Look with me at Mark chapter 1, verse 35. This is what the text tells us. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place. And what did he do? He prayed. Jesus Christ, our Savior, made it a priority that every single day he was going to get up and he was going to spend time with his Father. Why? Because that was the biggest rock for him as well. Why? Because in order for him to accomplish the mission and the will of the Father, he had to spend time with the Father, listening to the direction and to the wisdom and into the insight. And what am I supposed to do today? And how am I supposed to handle Peter? And what about Judas? I think this guy's going to stab me in the back. What do you think, Father? Like, Jesus 
was spending time on a daily consistent basis. His top priority was to worship the Father. Let me ask you, do you have a consistent ongoing time with God where you're talking and listening to him? Where you're reading his living love letter to you? Where you're asking and searching scripture and say, God, would you speak to me through your word? Where you worship the Father. Is this the top priority of your life? You know, this is something at Pathways that we call chair time. It's one of the three key environments of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's spending every single day in the worship and adoration of God by praying and meditating and opening scripture. I don't care if you do that on you version. I don't care if you find the daily dose or you check out a Bible reading plan. I don't care how you do it. But you need the most important part of your day is your time spent with the Father. That's not me saying that. That's what Jesus did. Now, if you have some questions, you're thinking, well, Adam, you know, I just, I don't know how to actually do that. That seems so foreign to me. That's a great question. So we want to help you with that. After service today, you can go back to group link, talk to Tammy or one of our volunteers. Ask them, how do you connect? How do you connect not only with people? If you need to be a part of a small group, you want to check something out, talk to them. But learn some of the tips and tricks when it comes to your chair time. Now you say, okay, Adam, wait a second. That's really great. But you jumped over into the New Testament talking about Jesus Christ. What about the Israelites? Like there was no Jesus So how did they know it was priority to worship God? Well, that's a great question. Let's go back to the second part of verse 2. It says, His associates began to build the altar of God of Israel, uh, of the God of Israel, to sacrifice burnt offerings on it. Here's the key phrase. In accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. In other words, the Israelites went back to the Torah, to the first five books in our English Bibles, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And what God had outlined was to make sure that you sacrifice burnt offerings to me. Why? Because when you sacrifice burnt offerings, what you were saying to God is, God, I need you to cover my sin. Sin needed to be paid for, atoned for. And so in the Old Testament, What would take place is that they would build altars and sacrificial places where they would take bulls and goats and lambs and they would would cut their throat and the blood would spill out and they would say, God, I am connecting with you. I need your grace. I need you to cover my sin. And so these 50,000 individuals, these Jews, in other words, were saying, God, before we begin to rebuild, before we look at the foundation of your temple, the first thing that we want to do is we want to connect with you. We want to make sure that we're in relationship with you. Before we do anything else, we want you to know that we're going to sacrifice what's of lesser value to us in order to receive something of greater value, which is a living relationship with a loving God. That's what they were doing. They were saying, God, I want to make sure I sacrifice on the altar. I want to make sure that I'm right with you before I do anything else. Question, how do you set your priorities? Most of us, we set our priorities based on what we want to do. We set our priorities based on what cultures says we should do. We set our priorities on what we've seen our parents do. 
We have all kinds of interesting systems and ways in which we set priorities. But according to Jesus, he gives us a clue in how we, as followers of Jesus, should set our priorities. In his most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, this is what Jesus says, Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. All of these pebbles. Jesus says, if you want to set your priorities, if you want to identify the big rocks in your life, then seek my kingdom. Figure out what matters to me and build your life, your time, your energy, your money around what matters to me. Every committed Christ follower that I know, they always are saying this, your kingdom matters more to me than my kingdom matters to me. And for the majority of people that are living in the United States of America today, that is not an accurate statement. Or maybe it is when it comes to their mouth and their lips. They're saying, oh, I'm a believer. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know. Gee, oh, ha, ha. And you say, okay, look at their life. What's the evidence of their life? You know how you tell the person's evidence of their lives? You look at their priorities. You look at their time. You look at their energy. You look how they build their life. Are they managing their life like this? Or is everything overflowing and it's just... It's, it's chaos. In the Old Testament, the word for sustainability, the word for salvation, the word in the Old Testament, God came to bring shalom, peace. He wanted that kind of relationship with us. In the New Testament, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and my righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, we all get that setting priorities, we all get the idea of sacrifice. In order to set priorities, you have to sacrifice things. So for example, as a parent, you might sacrifice something you go without in order for your kids to have. Whether that's a MacBook Pro Air, or whether that's a a pair of Jordans, or whether it's volleyball dues, whatever it is, you're going to make sure something is covered, and you're going to have to sacrifice something. We get that in relationships. I got to sacrifice this in order to make sure I can achieve and love and care for my friend, my girlfriend. We, We understand sacrifice. In the same way, when it comes to our spiritual lives, we can make sacrifices. So for example, you might sacrifice sleep because you want to be connected to the Father. You might have heard uh, Mark 135 for the first time. You said to yourself, you know what? I got to set the alarm clock an extra 15 minutes early and make sure I start my day with God. I'm going to sacrifice something that is of really like pretty important value to me, but in the scope of eternity, it's lesser value to the greater value of making sure I'm in connection with God to start my day with God. You might, you might, you might sacrifice uh, some time. You might sacrifice some of your free time in order to make sure that you're serving God by loving his church family. How many of you saw our newest greeter today? Did you, did you, did you catch little Ian, the little boy? He had his, he just, this is the first time he was greeting. You know what we're doing with kids and people? You know what we do in our hearts when we give of our time, of our energy? We're, we're, we're actually becoming more like Jesus because that's what Jesus does. 
He says, not my will, but yours be done. Not my kingdom, but your kingdom come. It's these small disciplines and practices that begin to free us up in order to grow and have this relationship with God. It's giving a ride to somebody to go to a support group. It's saying, you know what, I care about you enough that I'm going to bring some truth to you. It might hurt, but I love you too much not to say it. That's a good friend. That's a good friend. You, you might sacrifice pleasure. You know, some of you, you might set a budget for the first time in your adult life. You're like, man, that's not fun to do on a Friday night. No, it's not. But I guarantee if you begin to order and prioritize your life around God's way of doing things when it comes to stewardship, when it comes to care, when it comes to finances, God will continue to lead you and to guide you. Oh, by the way, the first big rock when it comes to your financial life is called the tithe. It's called 10%. You say, okay, how do I do that? Start with 2%, 3%, grow into that. Or maybe you're the kind of person like, man, I just got to start. I got to set this priority and I got to go. I don't know how you're wired. I don't know your situation. But all I can say to you is this. I can ask you the question, how do you prioritize your life? If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have to prioritize your life around his kingdom and not your own. Amen? So here's the second thing that we learn about priorities. Setting priorities based on Matthew 6.33 is by asking God these two questions. What's on your agenda? And then it's asking this question. God, what's on your heart for my life? You know, when I was uh, writing this out at this point, you know, I didn't think about it. It just kind of hit me right now. I would think maybe this is, I I hope this isn't a, a generalization. Please don't email me if I say something wrong here. But I feel like the first question is more geared toward guys. And the second question is more geared toward women, girls. Is that right? Is that true? And maybe not. I don't know. I just feel like, God, what do you want me to do today? What's on your agenda? What's your task list for me? And for women, I think it's more like, God, what's on your heart for me? And you know what? I think both are equally important. And I would challenge you to whatever degree you gravitate toward one of these questions this week, flip it. If you're more of an agenda person, ask the heart question. And if you're more of the heart question, ask the agenda question. Why? I have no idea. It's what I feel like I should say right now. So if you want to do it, great. If you think I'm crazy, email me. All right. (laughs) My, my, My point is this, that when it came to the Israelites moving back to Jerusalem, before they even began the building project, They just wanted to connect with God. And I think that's really important. I think sometimes in life, whether you're a believer or you're you're kind of seeking and searching out faith, sometimes I think we displace the biggest rock of worship because we get distracted by the pebbles of life, don't you? I think we we, we, we get distracted by these things that really, in the light of eternity, they really don't matter. They don't mean that much, and yet we can get consumed by those things. It's like those things can begin to control us rather than we control and say, no, wait a second, time out. I don't care what everybody else is doing. I need to batten down the hatch, and I need to get with God, and I need to get my life in alignment with God's ways, his word, his will. 
the way he puts it in his book. And and I can't help but wonder, when they got back to Jerusalem, what those 50,000 Jews were worshiping God around. I wonder what that worship was like. Did they say to themselves, man, we made it 900 miles. I mean, can you imagine 900 miles in the desert heat, busted wheels, no showers. Can you think of all the junior high boys? Oh, my word, how bad they would stink. Parents, can you imagine the question? How many times did you hear the question, are we there yet? Right? And they were saying, God, we're finally here. We did it. We made it. God, thank you for your provision. Like we had all this stuff with us. And you protected us from bandits and people that could hijack the caravan, could have killed our wives. God, maybe they were worshiping and say, God, you're so faithful that you would, that after 70 years, you predicted we were going to be disciplined by you through the prophet Jeremiah. We thought he was crazy, but he was actually right. But now we see your faithfulness because you released us out of Babylonian captivity. Oh, God, thank you. You're a promise-keeping God. Maybe they said to themselves, God, you're so good that you would bless us with, with all of these riches from the temple of the Babylonian empire. The Persian king who came in, Cyrus said, get all that stuff out of there. Give it back to the Jews so that they can take it back to Jerusalem. God, you're so good. You provided. You're so, you're so faithful. The proclamation, my kids, we're finally back. We're, wow. I wonder what it would be like for us to pause today. What would our worship look like? If we could look back over the last season of our lives and say, God, you've been so good to me. If you could just in your mind's eye, even right now, just begin to put a gratitude list together and say, God, I'm so grateful for this and this blessing and that blessing. God, you've been faithful when, when, when I went my own way, when I was arrogant in this last season and I, I got distracted by the pebbles of life. You're so gracious to bring community back into my life, to, to bring remembrance, a friend or a verse or something, some way you just, you continue to love me. Your goodness to me. I guess my question is this, where has God moved in your life that if you would just slow down, for a moment, that you, that we could worship him. So now I want to talk about the second part of the message. I'll be brief in my comments, but I want to talk about perspective. Everybody say perspective. Perspective. All right. So something exciting has taken place here in chapter three. They finally have gotten to the place where they've laid the foundation. 
The temple is going to be rebuilt. We're in the fourth message of this series, and we're finally here. The very thing, after 900 miles, after a proclamation, 50,000 Jews, they've been bankrolled and funded. They have all the people, and they're ready to lay the foundation of the temple of the Lord. Look at verse 10. When the builders lay the foundation of the temple of the Lord, here's what happened. The priest in their vestments, meaning they got super formal, okay? That, that means like I'd break out a little suit here for you today, all right? They got real formal vestments and with trumpets and the Levites, with symbols, they took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by King David, King of Israel. With praise, verse 11, and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. Here's what they said. He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord had been laid. They were so excited. It was like the day that the the hole was dug in your new home and the cement trucks came back. All the planning, all the budgeting, all the money, all the contract, everything was ready and you bring the entire family out. It's a great day of celebration. They are just, they're bananas. God is moving. It'd be like in our day, like it would be like this song. Ready, everybody put your hands in there. We just did Miley Cyrus in communion within a span of 10 minutes. Just want to say, just want to say, you're a part of that church. Thank you. It's great. You know, I love to dance. <laughs> it's so great. I walked into my team um, two weeks ago and I said, hey, I need like a, a, like a celebration song. Like, a, you know, and, you know, I, I didn't know what to choose. You know, like, I'm a kid of the 90s, so I'm like, what is my brain? But I had to go back even earlier, and I was like, cool in the gang celebration. And I said to our comm director, she was like, no. She was like, no. If you're 35 and younger, you have to Google that. And then she was like, oh, what about this song? And I'm like, put your hands up. I was like, yeah, that song, that's great. And then somebody was like, uh, be careful with that song. I'm like, ooh, yeah, so they cut it. Okay, anyways, that's all I got to say about that. That's the point. It's a celebration. Something amazing is taking place. But something very interesting unfolds. Look at verse 12. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple, meaning Solomon's temple, the first temple, they wept out loud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. Get the picture? No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound, well, the, the sound was heard far away. What? What's going on here, Adam? Some are shouting for joy and others are weeping. They're making so much noise that like blocks away, people can't tell how they really feel about the foundation of the temple. What's going on here? Why? It's a matter of perspective. See, it's a matter of perspective because you have a generation who is 70 and up 
who remember the former temple, Solomon's temple, who are weeping. And then you have a younger generation that this is the first temple that they had ever seen. Now, you might say to yourself, well, isn't that just a clash of generations? No, it's a clash of perspectives. See, the older generation was viewing the present in light of the past, and the younger generation was viewing the present in light of the future. Question, how do you see your life? Do you see your life from the perspective of the past, or do you see your life in the perspective of what God is going to do in your future? For many of us, it brings us to the topic of memories. There's two kinds of memories. They're good memories and they're bad memories. Bad memories I would put into four buckets. I would say tragedies, traumas, offenses, and regrets. I would say tragedies like maybe your niece was hit by a drunk driver. Maybe uh, the, the trauma of coming out of a global pandemic and you're so isolated and the government and everything is you're just feuding, but inside, internally, everything is just so complicated as you are walking out and say, yeah, but that's behind me and you're repressing or suppressing that. And listen, 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 listen. That is a trauma. It's an abusive father. It's church hurt. It's maybe a financial collapse in 2008. I don't know what it is. It's an offense from a loved one. I can't believe she said that to me. I'll never forgive them. Maybe it's a regret. I wish, oh, I wish I could go back in time and undo that. We all have bad memories. But the problem with bad memories is that if we're not careful, bad memories, what they can do to us is that they can steal your present and your future because you're chained to your past. And what I want to say to some of you today is that God's grace and his power and his kindness and his forgiveness is sufficient for you so that you can be released from your past and your bad memories and you can move forward in faith by fixing your eyes on Jesus Christ. The flip side are good memories, and they are just as powerful as well. But here's the thing. We can get chained to our good memories in a very distorted way. Like, for example, in Ezra, if you had talked to the group of those individuals who are 70 plus, like they remember Jerusalem, they remember Solomon's temple, do you know what they would have probably said to you? I remember the good old days. You ever talk to somebody, all oh, the good old days. You walk away and think, man, they want to live in those days, don't they? And I would say to those people of that generation, based on their perspective, I say, really? Were they really that good? Were they so good that the people of God became so fixated on the idols and the other foreign gods such that they had pagan practices. They slipped away from God and God had to discipline and, and roll in the Babylonians. You had to go to 70 years of captivity. Those are the good old days? Uh, no, thank you. See, good memories can also distort our perspective as to what God wants to do in the here and now and the future. So the question becomes, how do we have a God perspective? Let me show you how we have a God perspective, how you can have a God perspective. See, here's what God did. He raised up a prophet named Haggai. Everybody say Haggai. 
Haggai's a minor prophet, and here's what he says. Haggai chapter 2, he speaks to the people. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Quote, speak to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetila, governor of Judah, Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and the remnant of the people. Ask them. Here's what he was going to ask them. Who of you is left who saw the house in its former glory? Remember the older generation? You saw the old temple. How does it look to you now, this new one? It seems like nothing, doesn't it? They're like, yeah, it seems like nothing. This is garbage. I can't believe it. Verse 6, this is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and all the dry land. All the young generations like, shake it, baby. Let's go. I will shake all the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And here's the key phrase. I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. What God is saying to the people of Israel is simply this. The structure is not really that important. It matters some, but what is more important is my glory. My glory is the most important thing as related to this structure. Just like the glory of God is the most important thing related to the rebuild of your life in your life. It's not the external. What God is saying to you and me today is this. Be strong. Build out of a right heart. Seek my glory and my glory will fill your life. When we worship and we seek God's glory, his glory is the thing that matters the most. And that's the perspective we need. So what's the message about this weekend? It's about two things, priority and perspective. How do you see life? How do you set your priorities? And what is God wanting to build in and through your life? Would you bow with me for a word of closing prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for just this amazing chapter, chapter 3 in Ezra, how your word is real. It's amazing to me. It never ceases to amaze me how something written so long ago in a specific time and a setting has so much relevance for us in the 21st century. Things like priorities and perspective, things like all the pebbles and rocks in our lives. God, we, we, we just, we need to know that you're near us and that you hear us and that you have something for us. And God, I thank you that every single person here today matters to you. <laughs> I thank you that you're the kind of promise-keeping, love-giving, kind of God who cares for us and wants to lead us into a life that brings about your glory for our lives and the benefit of so many around us. God, we thank you. We just love you today. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. And everyone who agrees with this prayer said, amen. amen.